All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Rethinking Faith. Uh, with you today is myself, uh, Josh Patterson, and unfortunately, uh, co-host Marty Frederick is not able to be with us today. Uh, he is dealing with some family things, nothing major, nothing scary, nothing bad, uh, just some typical run-of-the-mill things, uh, so it's sad that Marty's not here, but the good news is, is we do have another person here, so you don't just have to listen to me talk, because who wants to do that? <laughs> My students don't even want that, and so with us today... Uh, as for those of you who uh, remember or have been listening to the show for a long time, is um, a guest we had on uh, previously, and her name is Bonnie Christian. So, Bonnie, how are you doing today? I'm good, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, coming back and agreeing to um, have another uh, conversation. Uh, last time you were on, we, we talked about um, nonviolence or like should Christians be violent, that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot has changed, I think, since the last time you were here. Uh, we used to be called Theology Doesn't Suck. Now we're rethinking faith. Uh, my co-host used to be Andy, um, but Andy has since, you know, moved on. He's doing well. We're still friends. Um, but he, you know, uh, left the, the show, and now Marty uh, is, is the co-host. And unfortunately, like I said, he's not able to be here today. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. But what... What has changed uh, for you? Or have things been going well? What's up? Um, yeah, I, I sort of vaguely remember the the, last, <laughs> the first time, the last time, sure. the only time I was on before I was like extremely pregnant. And I want to yep. say <laughs> it had reached the point where um, I had twins. So there was a lot going on in there and there was not a lot of room for my lungs. And so I think I was at that point where it was like... Um, I would like run out of breath at the end of a sentence. Um, so that, that is different now. Um, they're, they're eight months old. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that's the sort of the, the biggest news on my end. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. That's really cool. Um, my wife Thank and I you. do not have any children yet, but that's definitely something we look forward to in the future. Um, and twins actually, if I remember correctly, twins, however twins works genetically, there's like a chance that we might have twins, which um, like really freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> it's uh, fraternal twins are the oh, ones cool. that okay. you can have a, a predisposition to if it's on the mother's side. Okay, okay, awesome. Good to know. Yeah. I'll have to check that fact with my wife. 
and she'll be like, what are you talking about? You're an idiot, which happens <laughs> frequently, but anyway, <laughs> sweet. Uh, well, today um, we're going to be talking about uh, another, so for listeners who don't know, uh, Bonnie wrote an extremely helpful, wonderful book called A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today, and Bonnie, this book I go back to on a pretty regular, consistent basis. I did like an entire teaching series actually with students where I listed out all your chapters and asked them to pick their their seven you know favorite ones and then we went through and did a whole teaching series and uh, used like your discussion questions and um, it was really cool and the students really enjoyed it. I remember I think seeing some posts from that series on Instagram. I want to say it was right. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's so I was working at a Methodist church at the time in South Mm. Florida. Um, my wife and I have since moved back to Maryland, which is where we're from. And so I'm at a different church, uh, which I would love to, to reuse, uh, that teaching series <laughs> with those students. Um, but yeah, what, we, uh, what part of Maryland are you guys in? So we currently live in Mount Airy, Maryland. Oh, I went, lived there in, um, middle school. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I went to, to Mount Airy Bible church. Is that where you are, that would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird, but no, I'm not. I actually, I work at a church in Gaithersburg. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, which is uh, Montgomery County. kind of Kind of close to D.C., but it's called Seneca Creek. Um, okay. It's a, it's a pretty cool church. It's a um, EFCA church, which I know, okay. like, nothing about the EFCA, except that they're, like, kind of a denomination, but also not at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty cool. I know... Like, the EFCA can kind of, uh, there's, like, some doctrinal statements that you have to stick to, but then they're pretty free to make choices. Uh, So, like, um, one major thing that sets us apart from a lot of EFCA churches is we uh, have female pastors on staff and are completely egalitarian, um, which is really cool. Uh, But, yeah, anyway, (laughs) that's where I'm at. Um, Yeah, and so today um, I wanted to talk about another thing that... um, Another chapter you did in your book, that's a question I know a whole bunch of people ask. Uh, students ask this question all the time. Um, it's a question that I wrestle with in my life personally, and, and we can get into that. But the question is, does God really plan everything uh, that happens? And so it's, it's really a question about um, like the sovereignty of God, divine providence, divine foreknowledge, those kind of things. Uh, but before we actually go into the question... I wanted to ask you, um, or just you know, help our listeners kind of see. You use this concentric circle model in your book. Can you just describe that a little bit, and then we'll place like where this question falls on that model? Sure. Um, so the concentric circle model isn't original to me. Um, I heard it from Greg Boyd, who is the uh, pastor and theologian who wrote the foreword to my book. Um, and I don't actually know if it's original to him either. But um, the idea is that not everything that we believe as Christians is of equal importance. Um, So if you picture concentric circles like the target logo, uh, at the the center um, is is the person of Jesus. Like that's, and and that's like like Jesus himself, not not our idea of him, but but actually the person of Jesus. And that's the core of our faith, right? Like without Jesus, you you don't, by definition, you can't have Christianity. Um, And so then, a pretty small circle around Jesus is what we is a set of beliefs that we could call dogmas. And so these are sort of the things that 
that all Christians who are within little o Orthodox Christianity, um, people who are recognizably Christian, we all agree on these things. So this would be things like the Trinity, um, things like Jesus is divine, things like the Bible is God's word. Uh, a really good uh, shorthand for what's what counts as dogma that I like to use is the Apostles' Creed, which I share in the book, mm-hmm. um, which is just this really ancient, really short set of beliefs that um, you know some some denominations are non-creedal; they don't use creeds. But pretty much any Christian could look at that and say, you know, even if I don't officially want to to adopt this creed, I can agree with the content of that. Um, so there's there's relatively few dogmas, and and those are sort of like the basics of the Christian story. The next biggest circle would be what we could call doctrines, and these are the the levels of issues that. Um, I would say most of what I talk about in my book is about doctrines, um, and this is the type of stuff that divides denominations. So it's the difference between a Methodist and a Catholic and a Baptist, um, those sorts of issues that that would say make us say, eh, we're, we agree we're we're all Christians, but we're probably not going to go to be in the same congregation together. And then the final biggest circle on the outside is the the issues of least importance, um, sometimes really interesting. But, but of less importance theologically, and we could call those opinions. Um, so these are things, I think, that can coexist within a single denomination, differences of opinions, or maybe even within a single congregation, you could have different views on this. Um, now, there's always going to be some debate, right, about what goes in each category, especially right. if we're making the distinction between um, doctrine and opinion and doctrine and dogma. Mm-hmm. And so some people are going to want to weight things towards the middle, and some people are going to, generally speaking, more progressive Christians are going to want to say there's there's relatively little in the middle, and there's more things that we can disagree about on the outside, more opinions, and, and maybe people who have more... Uh, I want. I don't want to say fundamentalist in the sense of like hyper conservative, because I think you can have fundamentalist progressives as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but people who have sort of that fundamentalist approach to faith, no matter where they fall, are going to want to tend to crowd more things in the middle and say it's all non negotiable. Um, and so, I tend to take what what I would say is a, a more moderate approach and say there's a there's some stuff in each category, and mm-hmm. and it's we need to to have the perspective of of figuring out what are the stakes, what what level is this issue we're discussing. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, <laughs> when I, so I, I use this concentric circle model a lot with my students. So I, I didn't mention, I'm a full, well, maybe I did. I'm a full-time high school and young adult pastor. So when I say my students, that's what I mean. I'm not like a seminary prof or something like that. Although that would be really cool. Um, so with my students, when, when we did uh, this, and they love the concentric circles, uh, and we did the uh, teaching series and whatever, and the one that they had the hardest time agreeing on where to place was uh, the question of uh, homosexuality. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we had some students that wanted to put it in doctrine, but really close to dogma. And we had some students that put it like on the far outskirts of opinion. Um, me personally, I just kind of put it in like the middle of, of doctrine. Um, but yeah, that so that's just kind of like a, a practical that's example a, of where people wrestle. That's a really tough one. Um, I I would feel pretty comfortable saying it's not dogma, mm-hmm. like it doesn't Same. show up in any of the creeds. Um, but like thinking back a decade ago, I probably would have said, yeah, that's a matter of opinion. Whereas mm, now, okay. I I would probably move it up to doctrine, just at least in terms of. Um, 
right now, like in our time and place, it's it's clearly a matter of doctrine in the sense of it does divide denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, whether like sort of, you know, if we could take a bird's eye view of all of Christian history, whether we would end up agreeing, you know, it, it, it is doctrine level and not opinion level. I don't know. But right now it's at least acting like doctrine. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's become crazy divisive. And um, I don't know. I think that's that's really sad. I think we should wrestle with these kind of questions. But I think the, the level of divisiveness has not been helpful. Um, but anyway, we didn't. <laughs> we're not. That's not necessarily the the topic for today. Although that would be a a fun episode to do, and I know people would enjoy that. Uh, but so I guess where I would place our current topic for today: Does God really plan everything that happens? Um, I would probably put it in doctrine, uh, somewhere in the middle of the doctrine circle. Not super close to dogma. Not super close to opinion. Uh, what do you think? I would definitely agree dogma, or excuse me, doctrine. Yeah. I would probably err closer to dogma. Though. Okay, okay. Um, like, I think this is a, a pretty big one, um, just because of the, the implications it can have for sure. for what we think about God's character, I think. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Especially, too, when you get between, like, um, I mean, some of the, out of the four views are slightly more compatible but like calvinism and open theism for example are very very different (laughs) yeah definitely can't mix those (laughs) yeah sweet awesome well so uh one thing that you mentioned in the book that's really important uh when talking about this topic and you say this is kind of a, a getting at two different things is the idea of divine providence and divine foreknowledge can you just explain a little bit uh for our listeners what that what that is yeah so divine providence is uh about god's control over history um so it, it it's uh it's what has god done to mm. determine or not determine what will happen and what has happened and foreknowledge is about what god knows um what is he what is he aware of about future events and how does he know it mm. so okay. one is about one is about action and and god's like decision making and one is about like his knowledge and his awareness of the future yeah, and so both of these play very heavily into all four of the views. And actually, once we get to, actually, probably the first view we're going to talk about, I have a question where I see kind of a tension that comes up uh, that I'm interested to hear your your opinion on. Um, but so just listeners, so you know, the, the four views that we're going to be looking at today that, that Bonnie writes about in her book um, are Calvinism, Molinism, Arminianism, and Open Theism, although you call it uh, Open Future in your book, is that right? Yeah, which is uh, certainly the less well-known name for it. it. Most people know it as open theism. Um, but I've always found that, that that name can be a little confusing because it suggests that it's got a different view of God more mm, than a different right. view of the future. Right. Yeah, which the real, and I mean, we'll get to this, but the real, I think, distinction open theism is trying to make is it's a, a point about, like, time and how yeah, that how, works, not so much about works. God. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, and then I guess just for um, just to be fair and be completely upfront with people, um, I can tell you that um, unless somehow I'm completely persuaded otherwise, uh, today I, I fall within the open future, the open theism camp, uh, which is different from the last time that we spoke. I probably would have mm-hmm. been within the Arminianism camp, um, kind of scared to admit that open theism was really cool. <laughs> But now, and I've actually, I've made comments on the show before, like, I'm not an open theist, don't hear me wrong. Uh, but now I'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty f- firmly in that camp. And and I probably, I don't know if I would say firmly, I, I do find it the most persuasive, the open future view. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's not I was raised, you know, with a more Arminian perspective. Kind Same. of a confu- kind of a confused uh with some occasional hints of Calvinism, Arminian <laughs> perspective. But um yeah, I, I would say like I, I do find it the most persuasive. Is it uh possible that I could be persuaded back to Arminianism? Yeah, I think so. I, sure. I don't like, you know, find that view wildly unconvincing or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, just uh, with conversations like this, and I think with theology in general, I tend to take a more like open hands approach um, in the sense that like I don't want to be too now, depending if it's something like is Jesus the son of God, then I'm going to, you know, be close (laughs) with that. But a lot of things like this, and I guess it fits with the concentric circle model, I'm going to have my hands more open um, and willing to be wrong. And I think that's just a helpful way to kind of process theology if you're genuinely searching for truth then i feel like you should be open to you know searching for truth (laughs) yeah no and i i generally agree i will say though that if i became convinced that calvinism were real i don't think i'd want to be a christian like even Mm, if i was like oh this is true this is the reality of the world my fate's determined anyway so i just don't want to be a part of that yeah Um, because it, number one, at that point, there's nothing to lose, right? Sure. Like either, as we'll discuss, you're either in or you're out, no matter what you do. Right. But number two, this is one of the few things where it would just be, it would just be, t- I can't do it. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, just what it says about God is just too, too much for me to stick with. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. And if I'm honest, it's probably where I'm at too. Um, I do have some good friends that are Calvinists, um, and we have some pretty big disagreements. <laughs> my uh, um, my in-laws are, and okay. we, uh, they're wonderful people. We don't talk about these parts of theology sure. very often. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I think one to just, I mean, to be transparent as well, I'd have a really hard time uh, with Calvinism as well because uh, based off my understanding, um, I and maybe this is a personal problem, and someone has once told me, well, that just means God's convicting you and Calvinism is true. And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, but I feel like if if Calvinism were true, then I wouldn't fit the category of elect. Um, and that really trips me out. Um, hmm. I thought about it, like, kind of, and we can, I mean, this is just completely an aside. Uh, but with the idea that, like, fully within Calvinism, faith in God is a hundred percent always completely a gift. Like we're totally mm. deprived, like depraved, whatever depraved, yeah. we can't, we can't choose God, nothing. And so th- um, I draw from that then, okay, well then my theology uh, is a gift from God as well. If I have truth about God, my theology is mm. right. Then it's a gift from God. My theology and my experience with God doesn't line up with Calvinism. So if Calvinism is true, I'm not elect because mm. the faith I have is not from God in, in that mm. system. I've tried to say that before, and, and some of my Calvinist friends say the logic doesn't flow, which is fair, but that's where I get stuck. <laughs> yeah, well, we should probably get into, like, yes, please, explaining we <laughs> it before we go further. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so let's let's do that. So I have okay. a few questions we'll do in each one, kind of, like, describe the view, um, talk about how salvation works, maybe some pros and cons, and then, like, is there scripture that backs this up? So sure. we'll start with Calvinism. So what is Calvinism? All right, so we're calling it Calvinism because it does significantly rely on uh, John Calvin, who's a very famous reformer, um, but he's not like solely responsible for this perspective, and it is possible to, to hold a perspective like this uh, or, or exactly like this without being in a Calvinist tradition. Okay. Um, but for the sake of discussion, Calvinism. So 
the perspective here is that uh, God is completely sovereign, completely control over every over everything that happens. Um, he determines in advance, in consultation with himself, what the future will be, um, and that's that's the future completely. You know, it's not like he sort of sketches out the broad outlines and lets us fill in the details. He he does the whole thing. Mm. Um, so a quote from Calvin himself that I used uh, in the book is, God determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation. And so this is the doctrine of salvation that you get in this perspective, which is that God decides uh, whether you will be saved or not, and there's there's nothing that you can do to alter that decision. Um the other big question that comes up, I think, with any of these perspectives, but especially with, with Calvinism is, okay, so does that mean that God is responsible for, for evil? You know, like, did God mm-hmm. plan the Holocaust, for example? Um, and so the Calvinist answer is God determines everything that happens. Um, and so that includes the things that we see as evil. However, there's two uh, sort of qualifiers that they want to add to that. One is that uh, everything that happens uh, happens at God's direction and for his ultimate glory. So mm-hmm. we don't necessarily understand right now how these things that look like really terrible evils to us could bring glory to God. Um, but that's because, you know, unlike God, our knowledge is limited. We can't see all of history. We can't see the results that those things will have. Um, and so, you know, eventually in the future, we'll, we'll understand that in a way that we don't right now. The other thing, though, is that Calvinism wants to say that uh, there's this perspective called compatibilism. And the idea is that our free choices are compatible with God predetermining what those choices will be. So we we freely choose what God has chosen for us. Mm -hmm. And so in this sense, even though God determines everything that will happen and thus determines the evil things that will be done he does not bear moral responsibility for that evil because we're still the ones who chose to commit it Hmm. yeah that's and that problem of evil for me is is one of the big things that um holds me outside of of calvinism because i don't think compatibilism makes sense um like you and many others (laughs) (laughs) which is just i mean to be completely blunt it just it seems like words don't mean anything um, mm. in Calvinism, like they kind of lose their meaning. Um, and then we can just say, oh, well, it's this and this. And then like a lot of the time we give the answer, uh, or at least I find within Calvinism, um, or, or people within this perspective will, will use someone like Job to be like, oh, who are you to question God? Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, uh, a positive of this, I mean, we're not there yet is I think, well, I think Calvinism comes off as extremely pious. Like it looks it sounds nice, maybe at first. Um, I don't know, but well, uh, it has a it has a really it has a really strong intellectual tradition. Oh, like very much people so. in the in the Calvinist and the Reformed tradition, they tend to like they write long, very tightly argued books. Like it's a very careful, very meticulous tradition. Like really mm-hmm. good at like building up biblical cases. Yeah. Um, and it also, I think, for many people has, and this is not the case for me, but it is the case for a lot of people. It's very it feels very safe. Like if you are mm, okay. confident that you are one of the elect and you are loved by God um, 
and that this loving God has has deter- knows and has determined everything that's going to happen in your life, that brings like this real sense of security and peace mm-hmm. and safety. Like mm-hmm. as things that feel bad are happening to you, you know that this is from God and that God is good and that it will God works things for the best for the people He's chosen. Yeah, absolutely, and like. That's, which is funny because, like, I, I understand that part, but then where I personally start to struggle is, like, for example, um, I have some friends who, um, they also, uh, well, actually, they had triplets, I think, and um, they, uh, two of their, there's a whole bunch of, like, issues around the birth of the triplets, and it was really sad. Um, I believe two of them uh, didn't make it. Um, but their response was, God is in control, like, you know, God took my child, so it must mean something. For me, I would be really angry. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to <laughs> worship the God that just took my child. Right. So that, that, I understand why that's comforting, but for me, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, so, like, from a, from a pastoral perspective, like, if I had friends who took that approach to something tragic and terrible that happened in their life I wouldn't like try to argue them out of it like right. if that's, <laughs> right, if that's right. what's reassuring you of God's love stay with that and we can talk about theology later Absolutely. but in terms of like the theology and for myself no I think that would make things worse not yeah. better for me yeah for yeah. sure I agree with that 100% um, and so within, within this view though of, of uh, Calvinism I think oftentimes like when we talk about salvation, people use this language of double predestination, which you hinted at, which is the idea that God, from the beginning, chose who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, right? That's kind of the how salvation works. Yes, yeah. And so the double aspect is, is the heaven and the hell. There are people who want to talk about single predestination of God picks the people for heaven and he doesn't pick the people for hell, but... I, I don't know. It it doesn't. It seems like a distinction without difference to me. Like if he doesn't yeah, pick you yeah. for heaven, by default you're <laughs> sure. going to hell. Like what's right. the difference? Um, it sounds softer, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and maybe maybe to be fair, maybe there are like more nuanced arguments about how sure. that's different that I haven't encountered. But sure. um, yeah, honestly, writing this section was one of the bigger um, challenges in the book for me to make sure that I was being fair and like. Like, this is part of why I have, like, Calvin's own words in there and, like, right. referenced his original writings um, to try to make sure that I was not presenting, like, a caricature um, right. or, like, you know, the descriptions of, of Calvinism's critics. Yeah, no, that's really good, and I, I appreciate that, and I think you did a good job of that um, throughout the book. Like, I know sometimes you would say, like, oh, here's my opinion on it, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes you wouldn't, and I thought in the chapters where you didn't say what you're, like, where you you fit in— um, it wasn't oh, like overly um, uh, <laughs> obvious, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I you think did a good some job. you could. I think some of them you could probably like figure it out just in terms of like which of these fits well right. with the Based other perspectives the other ones, that I. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I tried. I tried anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, that. Yeah, that was good. Um, and so uh, within this uh, perspective, then I know that a lot of. Um, Calvinism, a strength is that they have, uh, is that they have a very high view of scripture. And then so scripture backs up and supports literally everything. So where, where do people turn in scripture for these kind of things often? Yeah. So one of the big ones, of course, is, uh, the book of Romans. Oh, absolutely. Um, Paul has, you know, this long, complicated argument, um, 
and there's there's definitely verses in there that I, I think can can be used to make to make this case. Um, there are certainly other interpretations of those verses as well, but uh, this is a popular one. Another one would be, uh, is it Ephesians? Colossians. Well, I can't remember right now. One of the one of Paul's smaller letters, not Galatians. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's either Ephesians, Colossians, or Philippians. In the first chapter, has a section on uh, predestination. Um, I, think I believe it might is the be actual Ephesians. Maybe word used. Okay. Um, hang on. Let me see. Ephesians chapter one. Is this what I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, in him 11. you are also chosen, having mm-hmm. been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Yep. Um, so that verse in particular, but this whole passage is also a popular one. Um, and then, you know, there's there's other passages. I think any anything really in Scripture that, that speaks uh, strongly of, about God, you know, knowing things in advance, God planning things, God determining major details of people's lives, any of that can be marshaled, you know, to support of this perspective. Sure. Sweet. Awesome. Well then what, and I know we've, we've talked about these and there's one that I like a question I want to bring up in here, but what are some of like the strengths that you think this view holds and what are some of its, its weaknesses or its drawbacks? Um, yeah. So what we've talked about in terms of like the way that it can be, uh, I think a comforting and, and reassuring perspective, um, mm-hmm. If you're confident in it, I think that's a strength. Um, I do think, you know, like their their treatment of of scripture very tends to be very knowledgeable, very careful. That's mm-hmm. a strength. Um, weaknesses, though, I mean, like I said, the the view of God for me is just so bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> I agree. You know, the the idea that like it it brings into question for me. I'm sorry, my dog is moaning in the background. It's it brings all good. Into, to question for me, like, what do we mean when we say that that God is loving and good? If mm-hmm. if He's predestining the majority of the people that He makes for eternal conscious torment, which is right. typically the view of, of hell that you find in this tradition, right. um, if He, you know, if somehow the Holocaust brings Him glory, like I, I just. That doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't sound familiar. Um, scripture is very clear that that in Christ we have the full revelation of God's character. And I think mm-hmm. if if you cannot picture Jesus condemning the majority of the human race to eternal torment before they're even born, <laughs> it's probably not a great great view. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think um, off. I think too. I think it was Calvin who who said that like uh, God's love um, comes off as hatred to those who aren't elect, and that that's never sat well with me because again that makes words not mean anything. Um, yeah, he has a he has a line about like you you shouldn't look to God the Father for love. You yeah. should just look only to Jesus, and and that has like really bizarre implications for like what is the Trinity yeah, like? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is theology. it even is it even one God at that point? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff like that which I just find really 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 troubling. Sure. Yeah, and one interesting thing uh, we did an interview recently uh, with Curtis Holtzen. He came out. Um, 
with a book, his first book ever, uh, IVP Academic, put it out, called The God Who Trusts. Super good book. Um, I think it's a huge contribution to uh, open and relational theology. But he brought up a really interesting uh, point when we were talking to him. I wanted to see what you thought about it. He was talking about God's omnipotence and his omniscience, I believe, are the, the right two. And says that those two, especially within this model of Calvinism, don't really make sense. Because if God knows everything there is to know and knows it to be true, then God can't be all-powerful because God can't change the future since he already knows it to be true. Otherwise, it's not true because God can't know false things. So it's like a weird, it doesn't work. Yeah, the the question of does God knowing something, is that itself determining right. what it will be, like is a crazy one to think about. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, a big a big distinction when we get to Arminianism and right. the open future view. Right, right. Um, Cause you know, Arminianism wants to say it, it doesn't determine it, but the open future view says, but if, but if God knows it's true, then, then it's set. It can't, can't be, it, it's, it's determined just as much as if he had determined it actively. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump to the next one. Uh, Molinism. Right. Yeah. Which I guess, <laughs> my understanding is is kind of like Calvinism, but way confusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's my so description. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's named for a guy named Luis de Molina, who okay. was a Catholic theologian who lived around the same time as Calvin. Um, this is probably the least well-known view of the four we'll talk about, um, especially among Protestants. It doesn't get a lot of play. Sometimes it's called the middle view of the future, which is interesting. Okay. Um, so Molina says, like, all right, Calvin's got this idea, um, like this real strong understanding of God's providence and his foreknowledge. But Molina, like you, thought it doesn't make sense to say that God determines everything that happens and we have free will. And so he wants to to reconcile like this, this really high view of God's sovereignty over history, but while preserving like real free will in a way that makes sense to normal people. Mm-hmm. And so his solution was to say, Um, So God, you know, is back before history begins thinking about how he wants to make the world and being omniscient, all knowing he can, you know, instantly think of all of the possible ways that the whole course of history could play out. Okay. Uh, And so he thinks about all these options for how the world could be and how history could go. And he picks the best one and he makes that world. Okay. So the choices that we make are free choices because God didn't determine what choices we would make. He didn't determine which world, what the world would be like. He, but it is picked, like the future is set in sure. that he decided what kind of world he would make and he knew how that world would run. Okay. So the example I give in the book is like God knows, and this is like a silly, easy example, but God <laughs> knows if you were given a choice between a blue and a green shirt that you would pick green. And so he made a world in which you're presented that choice and you pick green. He didn't make you pick green. He did make a world where that would be the choice that you were given and he knew what you would do. Yeah, so this, um, and maybe if, unless I'm understanding it incorrectly, this seems kind of compatible with like uh, deism, like God is some kind of like a divine clockmaker that kind of sets things in motion but then kind of stands back. Is that a fair way to look at Potentially, it? Potentially, I don't think I don't think you have to to be a deist, right? Okay. Because I think that the 
the the course of history that God settled on and that he decided was the best one and he made that world, um, that can still be a course of history that involves his action within it. Okay, okay. Um, like it can work with deism, I think, but it doesn't have to, doesn't, you don't have to be a deist to be a Molinist. You can be a, a Christian. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So in this one for salvation then, um, God does know in advance who will and won't be saved. And that's... Okay determined in term but it's not determined because god picks and chooses it's determined because god made a world in which some of us are given put into circumstances where we would choose to become christians and okay. some of us are never put in those circumstances or some of us are uh, would choose to to not become christians so okay. things are settled but not because god settled it Okay, so it still it still has a very high view of of the sovereignty of God and uh, yes. things like that, and that so I guess then the scriptural references would probably be very similar to that of Calvinism. If, if yeah, to... I I think so, but I think you'd also find you know more of the the uh, passages that would talk about man's choices and and, okay. and our free will because that is a big okay. concern sure. here. Sure. To, to preserve real free will, you know, even in the midst of the the history being pretty settled. Okay. Okay. Um, and also, interestingly, when I uh, did the teaching series with my students, um, and we laid these out, uh, we had students land, nobody picked Calvinism, which I thought was interesting, but this was, so we are at a Methodist church, and they all these <laughs> students were, were brought up in, in Methodism. Um, so most students were either Arminian or open theist. But I had one student uh, <laughs> who just loved this idea of Molinism <laughs> huh. when I presented it to them. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, because, what was the reason? Uh, well, this student was, I don't know, it's interesting because this was a, what I would refer to as like, a, and I don't even like using this language, but like a fringe student in the sense of mm -hmm. they were like, I don't know if this whole Christianity thing even makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. My mom makes me come here kind of mm -hmm. kid, um, but also insanely smart, like wicked mm -hmm. smart student. And so I think he liked, like he liked the, in the intelligence side. Like if I had to guess where he would fall, if he did study, I'd pick Calvinism just because of, you know, the, not that there's stupid people in all the other camps, but um, he... No, it, it does tend to appeal to a lot of really smart people. Yeah, certain, like, yeah. the I think, like, the logical, like, um, like the, oh, what's the word? When you think, linear, there we go. Mm -hmm. Logical, linear thinkers, I think, fault would, Calvinism works for them. Um, but I think he also, he just had a problem with this idea that God was... Uh, on the hook for evil and, you know, that we didn't have free choice. But he also wanted to say, well, if, if we are saying anything meaningful about God, he has to be completely sovereign. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where he fell. And I thought that was just really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a really interesting perspective. Um, it's not the official, like, Catholic position, but it's okay. definitely a, a way that you can sort of like, you know, Catholics have their whole catechism that you're supposed to learn. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know to what extent that's actually learned by most Catholics, but, but it's definitely a, a way, like it fits well with that. Like you can read what they say about, um, God's providence and foreknowledge and say, oh yeah, like that makes sense with this. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. It definitely, it's, it's not my view, but I, at one point <laughs> I think I did think about, uh, going with that. Uh, yeah. like maybe a decade ago. 
Yeah, I think um, when I, you know, was assessed it and thinking through these uh, kind of things, um, if I wanted to, like, if I tended to, to go towards, like, a more um, conservative uh, place in my Christianity and theology, I think Molinism would be kind of like a safe landing spot for me. Um, mm. It just... I don't know, kind of because I could never do the whole Calvinism bit, but uh, Molinism would afford me the opportunity uh, to hold a lot of the perspectives, like maybe steal some of the good stuff from Calvinism and then, you know, ditch the stuff that I didn't like. (laughs) Yeah, I also think Molinism has a really interesting um, commentary on like, like it has a really strong view of humanity's propensity to do evil, right? Because if if this was the best world that God could make, um, and, and (laughs) yeah, right. Um, so that's, that's a really, it's an, it's a super interesting thought experiment at the very least to think about like, you know, what does it mean to say like, this was the best world that, that God could create. This was the best scenario. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Especially this is the scenario where God has to become human and die on the cross. Mm, Yeah. And that was the best one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, I think, I guess we pretty much covered the, the strengths and weaknesses there. Um, yeah. So let's go to the next one, which I think, if my knowledge is correct, that probably that most people that listen to the podcast um, either fall into this position currently um, mm-hmm. or were raised in this tradition, although I do know we have um, some Calvinist uh, listeners as well. Um, but I think the next one, so Arminianism, this is what I was brought up in. Um, so what exactly is Arminianism? Yeah. So Arminianism um, comes from another uh, 16th century theologian um, named Arminius. Mm-hmm. And Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, he's sort of like Molina. He's he's reacting against the Calvinist perspective. Okay. Um, he's he's re- he also says, you know, it, it does not make sense to say that we have free will while God determines everything in advance. Um, but he comes up with a quite different solution. So what he says is that, um, you know. G- God could determine everything that happened if he wanted to, but he chooses not to do that. Um, so it's not that he's weaker. It's not that he knows less um, than, than the God of Calvinism or Molinism. Um, it's that he chooses to limit his authority um, over the course of history to make room for human choice and crucially to make room for the human choice to love. Okay. And so um, God... God makes this space for our actions. And so there are some things that God does predestine. Um, so for example, he does predestine his final triumph over evil. Um, okay. That that will happen, that, that part of the future is determined. Um, but a lot of things he doesn't predestine. And he, he, he prefers to act through, through influence on our lives instead of coercion. And so um, in terms of salvation, this means that God does not pick and choose who will be saved. Um, you know, certainly it's not that we can save ourselves. Our, we, we respond to God's grace, um, but he extends that grace to all, not just to a few chosen elect. Um, and then in terms of evil, um, you know, God God does not determine what will happen. He doesn't determine the, the evil things that will happen, certainly. Um, that's our free choices at work. Uh, however, um, 
Arminianism does say that God knows the whole future in its entirety. Okay. And so this is the question we mentioned earlier of does does foreknowledge, does the fact that God knows something will happen make it determined to happen? And so Ar- Arminianism says no, like the future isn't, God doesn't determine the future, he just knows it. Okay. Um, and that'll be a big distinction with the open future view, which right. says, uh, you know, different things <laughs> that will right. come to <laughs> Yeah. Right. Sweet. Yeah, well, I think this is, I mean, this is pretty common. Like, my upbringing was we started in a Methodist church, um, and then my parents discovered the wonders of early 2000s contemporary Christian music, <laughs> and so we moved on to the, the Southern Baptist church down the road, uh, which also held this perspective, and then, uh, unfortunately, we were kicked out of that church, quite literally, because my brother came out um, as gay in seventh grade, and they said, you're no longer welcome here. Long story short, we landed in a non-denominational church, uh, which secretly non-denominational churches most of the time are Baptist churches, <laughs> but uh, at least in, in theology. But that's yeah. so in all three of those places and all of my experience, that's kind of been the perspective that I was taught and, um, you know, raised with. So is this like the most common perspective, do you think? Or um, I think I think functionally, yes. Okay. I, I would say like um, either this or, or honestly a lot of people, if you look at how they live and behave, um, they act as if they think open future is the situation. But, Interesting. But I would say that, that Arminianism is probably like what most, you know, they may not know the name, but most people would describe something like this if they were asked to say, you know, like what do you think God God does in terms of determining the future and what does he know and how does he who decides who gets saved, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, that said, uh, it's the, I think in, in some cases, people describing that as their view would be speaking in contradiction of their, their denomination's official viewpoint. <laughs> sure. Um, and I don't... Uh, yeah, so worldwide, um, Catholicism and Pentecostalism are like the two big growing strains of Christianity right now. Um, and Pentecostalism, uh, is, tends to be quite Arminian. Mm-hmm. Um, and among Catholics, uh, you know, it varies, but certainly I think you can have a perspective like this and be Catholic. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to say on like a, a global scale, definitely among, uh, like the growing Pentecostal church. This is, this is it. And here in the States, you know, Methodists, like you said, Baptist, many non-denominational uh, congregations, um, and then anything like uh, Pentecostal holiness movement. If they're speaking in tongues, they're probably Arminian. Okay, <laughs> right. <Yeah. on. laughs> Sweet. Yeah, that that's interesting. I didn't uh, I didn't realize that the Pentecostal church was one that was growing. Oh, um, big big time! It's it's wild because it's been it's been around for only like a hundred and twenty years or so. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and but in like Africa, Latin America, Asia, it's it's the thing. Huh. Um, I guess... There's a book called uh, it's by a guy named Philip Jenkins, I believe, and I want to say it's called like the Next Christianity. The um, next Christianity. Okay. Or next Christendom is that what it's called? Yeah, the next Christendom, the coming of global Christianity. Um, strongly recommend it. Like it's a okay. It's it's like there's a lot of statistics, but it's very readable. Like you don't need to be like a big theology person to read it. And it's a super interesting look at like what the 
what the Christianity looks like outside of America right now, because we're increasingly like a huge outlier sure. in the West compared to where how most Christians are. Yeah, that's which I think is super interesting and humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. And then uh, when another book shows up at my door from Amazon, Bonnie, uh, I'm just going <laughs> to let my wife know that it's your fault. Sure. So as long as <laughs> sweet. Um, awesome. So within Arminianism, then, um, how does salvation work? I think, I guess within this view, there's more like a choice in the matter. People have more of a say. Yeah. So God is extending like his saving grace to us, but we have to accept that gift is Mm -hmm. the the basic idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, it's by no means do we affect our own salvation, but we do have to consent to it. We do have to agree to follow Jesus. And so, um, the, the, determining decision uh is is on us in that sense it's not on god deciding to send people to hell sure so it's like god's grace and forgiveness is very real but in mm-hmm. order to uh realize he doesn't it, force it on people. right yes yeah. yeah so in order to realize yeah. it in its fullest sense we have to consent to it yeah like i um so this is arminius is a was a protestant um but this is really similar to the view of the eastern orthodox church okay. um And so a a quote from an Eastern Orthodox theologian uh, named Callistos Ware that I I shared in the book is, God wanted sons and daughters, not slaves. And so that's that's Mm, sort of the the idea of of salvation here is God very much wants it to be your decision to be part of his people, not something that he makes for you. Okay. Now within, um, and this is kind of like a, a slightly different question, but within Arminianism then, does like... Christian universalism or ultimate reconciliation or whatever you want to call it, does that fit within the Arminian perspective? Because when I think Eastern Orthodox, at least all the good Christian universalist stuff I've read is from the Eastern Orthodox Mm. Church. Yeah, Um, so, I mean, a little bit of a tangent, but I think you could have, in theory at least, a Christian universalist perspective with any of these. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, because I guess Karl Barth. I mean, in Calvinism, you could say, you know, God predestines everyone for heaven. Sure. Um, Likewise, you know, in Molinism, you could say God, the best possible world that God could make was the world in which everyone ends up saved. Interesting. Um, Okay. And then in Arminianism or in open theism, you know, depending on sort of what what strain, I guess, of Christian universalism you're in, you know, like, do you think there's something like purgatory or something like that, right? Right. Um, but you could you could say, you know, somehow <laughs> in the afterlife, God God makes a condition conditions under which everyone eventually freely chooses to to be with Him and to to follow Him and worship Him. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Well, so then, what um what scripture passages do people normally? Uh, flip to or or point to for this Arminian perspective? I think it's, you know, a lot of the um, the, the verses that, that talk about, uh, you know, come and follow me. Um, mm. uh, you must be born again. Like these things that, verses that emphasize uh, our response to, to God's invitation, uh, certainly on the salvation perspective. Okay. Um, in terms of like God's relationship to evil in this, I think you're going to be getting, you know, a lot of the, the verses that, that talk about how much God hates evil, right? Like it's pretty easy to, to, to find a lot of those and to point towards verses to say like, you know, if this is how God feels about evil, um, why would he determine for it to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but on the other hand, you know, I think any, 
really like intellectually strong Arminian argument is going to have to deal with versus like we talked about for the Calvinism stuff, yeah, like absolutely. Romans and that stuff in Ephesians. Um, you can't just dismiss that stuff if you're going to make <laughs> a compelling case for for Arminianism. And so frequently with um, Romans is far too big a thing to even touch on here, but yeah. in terms of like the passage in, in Ephesians 1 where it talks about predestination um a common way of handling those passages from the Arminian perspective is to talk about uh, corporate predestination, okay. which is to say God decided in advance that he would have a people, he would have a church, like a, a group of people. Mm -hmm. He did not decide in advance what individuals would be in that people. Ah, um, okay. So it's like the idea if I say, I'm going to have a party, we're going to watch this movie. Um, I don't force people to come to my party but if you do come, we're going to watch the movie. Okay. So did I predestine okay. you to watch the movie? I mean, yeah, but I didn't predestine you to come to my party. I just predestined the party and the movie. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Makes sense. Sweet. Okay, so then I guess um, some of the positives then would be the, the, you know, take seriously people's free choice. Um, and it's a lot easier, you know, I think from my perspective at least, like to think about um, – you know, terrible things that happen are not God's fault, and he didn't yeah. want them to happen. Right, right, yeah. Which that actually, that's one of the big reasons I like open theism <laughs> mm -hmm. as well, um, is that I some things are just uh, arbitrary. They just happen, mm -hmm. and it sucks, and God grieves with us and is sad and uh, walks with us through those, you know, points in time, which I guess is a good of any turning point to talk about uh, your the final perspective you bring forth with in the book with which is open theism or the open future uh, perspective. So, uh, what is this view? Sure. So it has a lot in common with Arminianism, which is part of why you know I say uh, while I would put myself in the open future camp, it's not a huge leap. I don't right. think sure. between the two. Um, so the open future view essentially says. Uh, it has a different perspective on the nature of time. And so the idea is that um, where the other three views assume that uh, the whole course of history exists already to be known by God, um, the open future view says things that are going to happen in the future haven't happened yet. They don't exist yet. God can't know what doesn't exist. And that's not because of any lack in God's knowledge or his power. It's because you can't know something that doesn't exist to be known. Mm -hmm. And so the open future view agrees with Arminianism that there are some things that God has predestined to happen. Um, again, like the fact that he will triumph over evil, right? And the, the triumph that begins at the cross and will be fully realized at the end of all things. Like that's not in question. But there are a lot of other things that God has not determined. Um, and the, those, what of those things are, are in the future are still legitimately open. Now, because God has perfect knowledge of everything that could happen, because he knows what is likely to happen, um, you know, it's, it's not like God is sitting there wondering like, oh, I have no idea what could happen <laughs> next, right. right? Like, but he doesn't know with a hundred percent certainty, maybe like 99.999, right? But not a hundred percent certainty what will happen because that part of the future does not exist to be known. It's impossible mm -hmm. for anyone to know it. So the difference is really about how God relates to time. 
Um, C.S. Lewis, talking about this view, described it as the difference between like a line that's been drawn on the paper or a line that has yet to be drawn. Okay. Um, and so in the open future view, God and hu- divine and human and, and you know even other spiritual agents' choices are actively drawing the line together. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Arminianism and in Molinism and in Calvinism, the line is drawn. Okay. So in terms of questions about salvation and evil, it's very similar to the Arminian perspective. Like I would say the salvation perspective is identical. Okay. Um, but on on the question of evil, here God is moving through history in real time with us, and so when evil choices are being made, um, He is like actively working against those insofar as He is able without compromising our free will. Right. Yeah, and I think I mean me personally, that is like the strongest element I think that open theism offers or brings is I think it does a lot for the problem of evil, um, which I don't think, I mean, that's a question that I wrestle with constantly. And I think many people do. Um, I know another friend of the podcast, uh, Thomas Ord has what he calls a solution to the problem of evil, um, which falls within open theism, but he kind of talks about God not being able to unilaterally prevent genuine evil sorry my dogs are now the ones that are doing well. <laughs> um but and like I, I i like what tom is saying but i get tripped out sometimes uh, on some of the stuff when it comes to like miracles and his understanding of of things there um yeah and we should note that there's variations within each of these perspectives oh, so, yeah yeah so like my description is sort of of each of them is sort of like the basics um but you could definitely find people in each one that would disagree with some of the details yeah, and I think, um, too, I guess, I so I, I really enjoyed Greg Boyd's book on open theism, uh, which mm-hmm. was is called uh, God of the Possible, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that sounds right. He, he does a really good job of showing, because I think a common critique, and you pointed at this, is that open theism means that God is stupid or somehow weaker or not, you know, all these things. That's a common argument against it, but I think they're straw men argument, um, especially where Boyd says, well, no. God is infinitely wise, infinitely smart. The future just isn't there to be known yet. But if you were to play like a like a chess game against God, you're not going to be able to beat him because right. God knows all the possible moves that you are going to make and then knows how to respond in the result of you making that move. So like mm-hmm. you can't you still can't thwart God necessarily because God knows all the possibilities and how to respond in each of those situation so god is still the the smartest you know um uh all-powerful whatever you want to say in some perspectives um so it's more so about the future Mm -hmm. than god and i think you use a really helpful um like metaphor i guess you talked about how in like i guess calvinism molinism arminianism with the future set god kind of views things as like a like a picture or like Mm -hmm. a movie strip he can like sort of zoom in on different parts of the photo that are at different times, um, but then in the in the open future perspective, God is like, of course he doesn't experience time, you know, exactly the way we do. We don't know how God experiences time, but he right. is moving through time with us. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the biggest implications about of this view is for prayer, right? Because oh, it's, it's very different if you're praying to a God who is like working against evil in real time and the outcome 
of things is is not determined in sure. many cases. Sure. Um, that I think makes prayer far more necessary, um, far more. I don't know. It it feels sort of um, futile to me, certainly in like the, the Calvinist perspective where, where God has already determined everything sure. um, to be asking God to change, change events. Um, if, if the events do change, then it was already, or if, if the event turns out the way you wanted, it was already predestined to turn sure. out the way you wanted, whether you prayed or not. Right. And you were predestined to pray. Right. Um, but even in Arminianism, I think uh, if things are set, even if we don't know what they're, they're set, it, it, it just, it doesn't, I don't at all feel the same urgency to pray. Um, right, right. Yeah, as I as I do in the open future view. Yeah, which I, I think that, I mean, that's another thing I really like about this perspective too is the relational bit. Like I'm a super relational person by nature, I guess. Like that's um, like friendship and hanging out with people and spending time with friends. All that kind of stuff really matters to me. And so the relational view of God uh, really makes sense to me. And through my experience... Um, of God through things like prayer and meditation, um, it just it seems to work. Uh, but also, I think too. Uh, so one of my favorite theologians, um, although they're I don't think they're an open theist. They're probably um, they don't like labels necessarily. So I'm not going to put them anywhere. But they're not an open theist. So N.T. Wright is mm. uh, one of my favorite theologians, and his you know where he talks about God calling us into partnership with God's self to, you know, bring about the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, you know, and God's plan of restoration and redemption, um, all of this partnership language and working with God to eradicate evil and things like that makes the most sense to me within the open theism perspective. Yeah, I think so, you're right. And and I think you're also right that N.T. Wright probably isn't an open theist. Nope. <laughs> um, I, but, but yeah, that the way he talks about that is, is, very compelling and necessary um and, and i think has been lacking much uh in in many strands of christianity Absolutely. um but yeah i agree that it, it does make a lot of sense in the the open theist perspective um that sort of he right focuses on like the idea of us partnering with god and then i think the open theist perspective highlights how much god is trying to partner with us right yeah so the the compatibilities there which is nice so and also too i i mean i skipped over this but i think people would be surprised at just how much scripture there is within the realm of open theism because often open theists are pushed off as liberals or they don't care about the bible or things like that uh, where if we take an honest look at scripture, I think there's a lot there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of the verses are going to be the same as like Arminianism is going to use, sure. but there is, um, and you see this a lot in the Old Testament, especially verses that will describe God changing His mind. Right. Um, you know, even even like God's conversation with Abraham about uh, the what is the city that He's going to destroy? The city where Lot is. Um, is it Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, why am I blanking on this no, right you're now? Good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> but yeah, so like when and Abraham is like, okay, if there's a hundred righteous people, if there's ten righteous people and he yeah. you know, he goes down the line and God you know, it says what he's willing to do in each of those scenarios, um, and it turns out there's not even ten righteous people, right? But there are stories like this and there are verses like this that, that describe God's willingness to change his mind, that describe God actually changing his mind. And it's interesting because in 
the Calvinist perspective especially, whereas we've talked about you tend to have this very high, very careful view of Scripture, they have to say, well, that's just God being anthropomorphized. Like, yeah. that's just the writers of the Bible talking about God as if he was human. Um, but in open theism, you can say, no, they, they were right. Like, God changed his mind because <laughs> circumstances changed and what was the most loving thing for him to do before is now different. He like in responding to new circumstances, the loving response looks different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think those kind of verses uh, that the other perspectives can really struggle with are, are a, a big help here. Sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess to, to be fair to your time, Bonnie, um, I want to throw just two more quick things at you real quick, just to see, um, you know, what you think, if, if that's okay. okay. Um, but I don't want to hold you over. Um, so I guess one question I would have in, um, do you know which of these views has, has kind of been a, around the longest? Um, oh, man. Um, I know that's a I tough would, question. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the first three, you know, we, we've talked about, like, how in their present forms they, they all date to, to theologians in the 16th century. Right. I would say, however, that you see something like Calvinism and something like Arminianism throughout most of church history. Okay. Um, if I had to, like, pick which of these do I, have I seen most, like, in some of the earliest theologians like the greek fathers or something like that right i'd probably point to like arminianism but as as soon as like augustine who's like fourth century you have something very like calvinism at that point sure yeah so so those are both quite long-standing um there i mean there are open the open future view is not like a complete recent innovation um i will say in in terms of like most of its exploration and treatment is pretty recent. Sure. Um, and Molinism, I think, is significantly like Molina's thing. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it's just kind of there, right? But, but even his idea of like thinking about God creating different possible worlds, like I don't think that thought experiment is unique to him. So okay. um, they all have have histories that, that predate sort of like their best known representations. Okay. And yeah. then do you think like and this is a really tough one because this is complete speculation. It's something that I wrestle with frequently, like moving forward for the history, like the history of the Christian church or, or Christian faith or whatever. Um, I feel like, I don't know, like which one of these do you feel like has, like is going to become the most popular or maybe the most necessary, um, especially mm-hmm. within like our pluralistic society and things like that moving forward to help keep, because like my, my goal from a pastoral standpoint and for this podcast is to help people cling to that innermost circle in the diagram of Jesus. Um, and if they, if Calvinism works for them, great. Um, if not, and open theism is their thing. Awesome. Great. are also great, but just, <laughs> just cling to Jesus is, is something we talk about frequently. Uh, but it just, I mean, to me, it seems like, and I'm biased of course, but like things like open theism, make the most sense moving forward, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. Um, I think Molinism is at a disadvantage just in that it's less familiar. It can be difficult to explain. I mean, you even introduced it as confusing. It is. It requires some, some talking about to really sure. understand, right? Um, I think Calvinism's 
ability to say everything happens for a reason. Everything mm, happens. I'm always okay. within God's will. I think that's always going to have a very strong attraction sure. for a lot of people and understandably so. That's fair. Um, that said, I think in a world where we, like the way that we get news and we, like we hear about tragedies around the world that people never would have found out about, you know, a right. hundred years ago just because of how news spread. Um, I think that that, maybe greater like not not to at all to suggest that people in the past weren't aware of evil right like sure. your baby dies half your babies die when they're two months old or whatever i'm exaggerating but but it was bad right, um, right. so not at all to suggest that people weren't aware of evil but i i think we have so much um so much news and so many different perspectives thrown at us all the time now in a way that didn't happen before like you know the information age that's a new thing um, that the allowance of uncertainty um, that exists within the Arminian and the open future perspectives, I think that can increasingly make sense to a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of predicting, you know, like what will win out, it's hard to say. <laughs> sure. But like I said, I mean, insofar as as like Pentecostalism is the big thing in the global South, and that tends to be pretty Arminian, yeah. yeah, that could be it. Sure. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for the time that uh, you've given us today. And um, I'm excited to, to get this episode out there. I know it's going to be super helpful uh, to so many of our listeners. And um, it was helpful for me. So <laughs> thank you. For I, I just uh, I hope we didn't scare off any of your, your Calvinist listeners. <laughs> yeah. I, well, so here's the truth. If they're not gone already, <laughs> since, since Andy has left, then I don't think there's any scaring them off. Uh, that's fair that's yeah fair. andy was a strong anchor for a lot of our mm-hmm. <laughs> calvinist listeners and um after he left i'm sure that there are people who you know uh stopped sure. listening as well but um for those of you calvinists who are still a lo- uh, around i still love you and <laughs> i'm excited that you're a calvinist um and love jesus and that's great <laughs> that Sweet. is great well, uh, people, be be sure to, again, I mean, I think, Bonnie, I'm probably going to keep promoting your book uh, forever because it's well, thank so you. <laughs> helpful to me. Yeah, for real. Uh, so, but be sure to go ahead and pick up a copy of A Flexible Faith if you don't already own it. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Um, it's just a wonderful resource. I go back to it constantly. We'll be sure to link it uh, in our show notes. Um, is there anywhere else you would like to direct people, uh, Bonnie? Oh, um... I mean, you can you can find me at bonniechristian.com, uh, or I'm I'm at Twitter at bonniechristian. If you want to get in touch, that's an easy way to do it. Um, and my website has links to like Facebook and things like that. If you are smart enough to not be on Twitter, uh, so <laughs> For sure. yeah, no, I, I welcome hearing from people um, in whichever of those avenues is easiest. Sweet, sounds good. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, for your time and just wish you the best of luck in you know everything and anything that you may or may not be working on so uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah peace and love and uh to the rest of our listeners as always uh go caps